Hello, welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Natalia Shpilova Said, one of the hosts on the Literary Studies channel. Today I'm speaking. Hello, welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Natalia Shpilova Said, one of the hosts on the Literary Studies channel. Today I'm speaking with uh, Mikhail Epstein. Mikhail Epstein is Samuel Cadlett Dobbs Professor of Cultural Theory and Russian Literature at Emory University. His areas of specialization include postmodernism, cultural and literary theory, the history of Russian literature and intellectual history, contemporary philosophical and religious thought. Professor Epstein is also an expert on Russian philosophy of the 19th and 20th uh, century. He also authored more than 30 books and more than 700 essays and articles, and his works have been translated into 23 languages. Today we are discussing Mikhail Epstein's new book, The Irony of the Ideal, Paradoxes of Russian Literature, which was published by Academic Studies Press in 2018. Hello, Mikhail. Hello, Natalia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Well, before we discuss your book, um, would you tell us a little bit about your background, about yourself, because you have such an impressive background and such an impressive career path? Well, uh, I studied uh, Moscow State University. I graduated from philological faculty uh, and uh, specialized in uh, Russian uh, literature and in theory of literature. So this was uh, my major uh, area of studies in the 1970s. Uh, then I migrated to contemporary Russian literature and aesthetics and uh, with uh, the 1980s and much more dynamic aspiring spirit of uh, this decade of uh, perestroika and change and uh, innovation, I uh, was interested in um, the projective and constructive uh, aspects of theory, how theory can uh, influence uh, the literary process, the artistic uh, process. And uh, so I um, worked in the genre of uh, program and manifesto and uh, some of my Mm. ideas and concepts uh, such as materialism, conceptualism, presentalism, metabol and others uh, were interacting with uh, the mm, creative aspirations of the new trends in uh, Russian literature. Uh, in the, and my first book actually was published uh, only in 1988 when I was already 38 uh, because uh, under the censorship conditions in the Soviet Union, it was uh, hard uh, to publish um, uh, anything uh, which uh, didn't uh, fit into the very uh, narrow limits of uh, Soviet uh, ideology. Uh, though I was uh, uh, accepted to the Union of Writers uh, in Moscow in 1979, uh, but this didn't uh, warrant publication of uh, books. Uh, then, uh, in the year 1990, I moved to the United States and started first as uh, a fellow of uh, the Kennan Institute, Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars in Washington, D.C., and then I um, became 
professor of Emory University in Atlanta. And uh, for this period of almost 30 years, uh, the trajectory of my interest also uh, changed uh, rather dramatically. Uh, in the um, 1990s, I was interested in the problems of postmodernism, both in the West and in Russia, in comparative perspectives. So I published several books on uh, this issue, and also I moved uh, from uh, theory of literature, from aesthetics to uh, more... Uh, fundamental areas of uh, philosophy, uh, theory of modalities, uh, ontology, epistemology, and uh, also wrote uh, a book, uh, The Philosophy of the Possible, uh, published in 2001. Uh, so postmodernism and uh, philosophy were the hallmark of my 1990s. Then, with um, the next decades, my main interest uh, focused on uh, the humanities as the entire field, uh, which combines uh, various disciplinary approaches. Uh, of course, there is literary studies, such areas as literary studies, cultural studies, uh, linguistics, uh, philosophy. And I tried to um, elaborate on the general uh, self-consciousness of the humanities in the century of... Uh, uh, of course, uh, technological and uh, scientific uh, uh, revolution where the humanities seem to be uh, lagging behind the uh, progress of uh, technology. And uh, this became one of my major preoccupations in, in the 21st century. So I published several books in Russian and uh, in English. Um, English book was titled um, The Transformative Humanities, a Manifesto. It was published in 2012 uh, by um, Bloomsbury Academic, uh, where uh, I tried to offer a program of uh, practical, constructive engagement of the humanities with uh, contemporary culture and how the humanities uh, can revive their uh, crucial meaning and significance for cultural development, uh, which the humanities enjoyed in the 18th century, in the 19th century, and then uh, lost it to hard sciences and hard technology. So I'm interested in uh, the humanistic technologies. Nevertheless, uh, during the same period, I continued to write about Russian literature uh, and language. Uh, one important part of my work was uh, what I call a projective uh, approach to language evolution. Um, beginning uh, 2000, I uh, published uh, several uh, pieces in Russian and in English on uh, the possible lexical and grammatical uh, transformation of uh, language, and uh, one of these books was published in English, uh, the Predictionary. Uh, meaning both uh, uh, proto-dictionary and uh, predictionary. That means uh, a collection of uh, words and uh, grammatical uh, constructions that I find uh, necessary for the dynamic uh, evolution of uh, English language and uh, Russian language. So these are my, my main areas. Uh, 
philosophy, cultural studies, literary studies, and linguistics, and all of them in projective dimension. Uh, how they can influence uh, society, social imagination, cultural imagination. Uh, but uh, I continue to work also on uh, uh, more traditional literary studies, uh, and uh, my book, uh, The Irony of the Ideal, Paradoxes of Russian Literature, which was published several months ago, is, so to say, my debt to the oldest uh, area of my study, <laughs> which I <laughs> began uh, my uh, engagement with uh, philology uh, at uh, Moscow State University. So this is uh, the book on Russian classical literature of the 19th and 20th century uh, from conventionally speaking from Pushkin to conceptualists uh, to Prigov, Sorokin uh, an attempt to uh, find uh, a new way to look at uh, Russian literature not purely uh, historical, uh, not uh, purely uh, theoretical, but combining historical and theoretical perspectives. Well, I feel like um, yeah, I would like to ask you more questions about your career path because it's so impressive and it's so rich. But, um, um, well, going back to that uh, phrase that you mentioned about literary studies and about this recent book, which is written in a more traditional way. However, the book itself doesn't... Uh, uh, look like traditional, and those approaches that you exercise are quite innovative, and they far from being rather traditional. So, before we go into some details about this recent publication, would you just give us um, uh, your vision of how literary studies uh, changed over this time period that you actually devoted yourself to this field? Because you mentioned that it's more traditional um, if compared to other interests that. Um, you invest yourself into at this point. But uh, still, what, how would you uh, summarize this um, development of literary studies over, the, uh, over, over these decades that um, you work with in this field? How uh, the literary studies in general uh, evolved during this period? Well, uh, it's um, uh, difficult to build a linear progression uh, because... Uh, uh, and this is what I think about uh, cultural evolution in general, it is not one evolution. Uh, it is a series of evolutions, uh, diverging evolutions. So some literary, uh, some part or aspect of literary studies uh, developed, uh, and this is important, uh, of course, uh, uh, direction uh, to merge with cultural studies. Uh, with uh, intellectual history, uh, history of uh, everyday life, uh, so to be built into larger uh, cultural uh, field, uh, which is interesting, uh, important. Uh, another less, I would say, dynamic uh, uh, field of uh, literary studies uh, inherited uh, semiotic, uh, structuralist, uh, post-structuralist perspective on uh, literature. Uh, of course, um, Lotman was uh, enormous influence uh, on this uh, semiotic structuralist approach to literature, and then uh, French uh, post-structuralism, uh, deconstruction. Uh, 
so this is another very uh, important and uh, influential uh, trend in uh, literary studies. Mm. Uh, I would say that uh, my uh, approach uh, doesn't coincide with uh, any of these. Uh, uh, I'm interested in uh, metaphysics of uh, Russian literature. However, uh, traditional uh, this uh, term can uh, appear uh, because metaphysics is uh, often uh, associated with uh, something pre-Kantian, uh, uh, with the paradigm of thinking which uh, uh, should be uh, first of all criticized. But at the same time, Derrida himself and uh, post-structuralism, uh, while uh, trying to purify uh, the humanities uh, and, first of all, textual studies from metaphysics, at the same time acknowledged uh, the impossibility of such <laughs> ultimate purification, because metaphysics uh, is not uh, 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 something that uh, is uh, imposed on literature uh, or any aspect of uh, human activity. Uh, it is uh, what makes human human. Uh, it's uh, the uh, relationship between uh, any human activity with the system of concept, with no-sphere, with conceptual sphere, senior sphere, uh, which uh, is full of these uh, universals, of these uh, general concepts. And uh, the point uh, and the task of a literary scholar is to... Uh, uh, inscribe literature into this conceptual sphere without uh, sacrifices on behalf of literature, without sacrificing the richness of uh, its uh, imagery, its metaphors. So my enterprise is to investigate the metaphysics of Russian literature not in the same terms in which we can uh, examine metaphysics of philosophy. That means not as a... Uh, uh, so to say, uh, explicitly and intently metaphysical utterances of Russian uh, writers, not uh, metaphysics that is imposed on literature by philosophy, but inherently metaphysical, unconsciously metaphysical uh, aspects of Russian literature, in the same sense in which, for example, uh, Joseph Brodsky uh, uh, used to say that uh, literature that is devoid of uh, metaphysical taste uh, cannot be called literature. It is very letter. It is uh, entertainment. It is uh, something addressed to uh, lower levels of uh, cultural perception. Metaphysics is a must of uh, uh, grand literature, of uh, big uh, literature. So uh, it was a difficult task to build metaphysics of Russian literature. At the same time, don't rely, not to rely on uh, big meta-narratives, metaphysical narratives. So I take into account the uh, critique of meta-narratives that was uh, undertaken by postmodernist, uh, post-structuralist uh, readings uh, of literature. I do take into account, uh, but I want to build uh, metaphysics without... Uh, metaphysics of literature without meta-narratives. This is, this is the task. Uh, uh, even more so, uh, 
uh, as uh, Russia literature was a victim of uh, meta-narrative interpretations for uh, many decades uh, of uh, Soviet regime and still continues. Uh, it is the greatest uh, temptation of uh, uh, literary scholar who wants to uh, think about literature in grand metaphysical terms to uh, submit it to some uh, meta-narrative, be it Marxist meta-narrative, which is familiar to all of us uh, who uh, studied in Soviet school, or uh, mm, mm, as the history of liberational movement uh, uh, going through from nobility to raznachinci, then to proletariat, and so on and so on. We know this. Then there is, uh, so to say, uh, Christian or orthodox uh, meta-narrative that uh, presumes that Russian literature uh, from its very beginning uh, in as uh, ancient uh, uh, Rus uh, literature than Moscow, period Petersburg, despite all temptations, it still continued to be deeply Christian, and Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, Chekhov, and then Pasternak, Solzhenitsyn, this is the mainstream of Russian literature. It's uh, uh, gospel revelation. This is another way to translate, again, literature into some not political revolutionary meta-narrative, but interreligious Christian meta-narrative. Uh, there are other ones, for example, uh, Russian cosmism, uh, which reads uh, literature from the point of view of Nikolai Fyodorov and uh, uh, Daniel Andreev, uh, uh, which reads into it the resurrectional impulses, and this is also quite... Uh, so to say, uh, established pattern of interpretation, or Eurasianism and Slavophilism. So there are, uh, uh, which becomes especially uh, topical uh, now, Russian literature uh, as uh, the history of struggle against uh, the West, of uh, defense of uh, uh, spiritual and aesthetical sovereignty of Russian literature. So my uh, approach is different. It's metaphysics without uh, meta-narrative. Uh, it's uh, an attempt to uh, not uh, to uh, to get rid of this linear approach. Uh, I believe in clusters. I believe in nodes. I believe that uh, you cannot uh, uh, build uh, uh, a true understanding of uh, literary whole just in time. You have to look at the space of literature, uh, a, a continuum of literature where uh, Pushkin, uh, Tolstoy, uh, Platonov, uh, Pasternak, uh, Nabokov, they talk to each other in one time, what Bakhtin called mm -hmm. uh, big time or great time of uh, literature. Uh, so, uh, within each of uh, these pieces of this puzzle, uh, I uh, looked at different aspects of Russian literature and find the, uh, such as, uh, for example, uh, relationship between metaphysical problems, uh, between word and silence, or between reason and madness. Uh, and uh, I tried to uh, designate the major uh, problem in terms of paradox, because Russian literature, I believe, is uh, moved by paradoxes. The very foundation of the new uh, Russian literature, and uh, which 
go back to Peter the Great's reforms was paradoxical because uh, it was an attempt to uh, uh, build uh, new Russian uh, culture on the foundation of different culture, Western culture. And these two uh, spiritual cultural matrices, they interacted in Russian literature in such a uh, controversial, contradictory, paradoxical way that we find these contradictions in every subject. Uh, in every thematic or problematic area of uh, uh, Russian literature. For example, uh, uh, the ideas of uh, uh, greatness and humility. Russian literature demonstrates how the highest uh, uh, standards or visions of greatness reveal their demonic uh, nature. Uh, using, of course, the influences of uh, Goethe, uh, Faust, especially the second part of Faust, and uh, the interaction of Pushkin's vision of Peter the Great, uh, Peter the Great's deeds, and uh, Faust's enterprise on the seashore, uh, how these motives uh, encounter each other in uh, a certain problematic knot of Russian literature, uh, first of all presented in the bronze host, yes? And uh, uh, this is the first part of uh, the book, The Titanic and the Demonic, Faust Hairs. It is the title of the part. Uh, and it uh, looks at the bronze horseman, uh, the problem of demonic irony, when... Faust and Mephistopheles, which are separated in uh, uh, Goethe's uh, great tragedy, are actually uh, brought together, merged in the image of Peter the Great in Pushkin, who is both Faust and Mephistopheles at the same time. From uh, Mitzkevich's point of view, Peter the Great is Mephistopheles. He is the devil. From Pushkin's point of view, he is both Faust and Mephistopheles. This is the first paradox of Russian literature in terms of book's composition. Uh, and then we uh, look further and find that we can, uh, even looking at Pushkin himself within his world, to find such paradox as uh, comparing the bronze horseman and his uh, fairy tale on the golden fish, we find the same subject, the same narrative actually, in its high tragic and, so to say, low uh, comic uh, aspects, because uh, the old woman uh, and uh, uh, the golden fish in uh, Pushkin's uh, fairy tale, of course they imitate the relationship between the uh, autocrat and the elemental mm. The revolting element, uh, the sea, uh, rebelling against the will of the uh, uh, Peter the Great or the old woman who is a parody of Peter the Great. So we find this paradox not only uh, in the relation of Pushkin and uh, Goethe's uh, great uh, masterpieces, but we can read Pushkin through the prism of Pushkin and find paradoxes within Pushkin himself. And then the same uh, uh, interesting uh, uh, self-contradictory uh, aspect of the theme of 
the Titanic and the demonic we find in Gogol. The most lyrical um, and uh, inspirational uh, pages of uh, the Dead Souls. Uh, who is the only positive hero of the Dead Souls? It is considered to be Russia of the lyrical digressions. Uh, if we find, if we come to uh, more close reading of uh, Google, we find that this is the most terrifying image uh, of um, the Dead Souls uh, because all. Uh, texture of uh, these lyrical digressions come to Google, uh, Google's uh, Dead Souls on his earlier works uh, where uh, the same imagery is applied to uh, uh, the witch, uh, to the demon in the terrible vengeance and other demonic imagery of the, of the uh, early Google. Uh, so we see again how Google, contrary to his own metaphysical and patriotic intentions, uh, betrays the demonic nature of uh, uh, Russia as mother bitch uh, in uh, the most, uh, again, uh, anthem-like uh, Fragments of uh, his uh, poem. Uh, this is only one part, the first part of the book. But uh, the same strategy is um, undertaken in any other part. We find uh, the most metaphysical aspects of Russian literature, where its conscious intentions come into contradictions with its deep unconscious. Uh, with uh, mm, and this is of course uh, my own debt to deconstruction because deconstruction is a very uh, deeply ironic uh, procedure because uh, we see how the writer uh, uh, wants to say something and it turns out that what um, actually uh, his or her writing says is opposite to what to the initial uh, intention. Uh, so I tried to demonstrate the same deconstructionist uh, uh, irony in uh, reading uh, Russian literature uh, and its major uh, uh, narratives without building them into narrative linear, into linear uh, sequence of meta narrative. And the second, for example, part is another aspect of uh, uh, Russian major obsession with the value of uh, humility, yes, starting with the theme of the little man in Russian literature, I like to, uh, so to say, to rely on the most familiar school, so to say, foundations of uh, our uh, knowledge of Russian literature, and then to demonstrate that within this most elementary, uh, most most self-evident, obvious aspects of Russian literature, there are some very explosive, uh, ironical irony of the ideal. This is the title of the book. Uh, uh, ironical subtext. Uh, so, okay. Akaki uh, The most miserable <laughs> of Russian literary heroes. But we see how from this uh, seed, a different plant is growing. 
And this is the most ideal character of Russian literature. The Prince Christ, as the stage calls him, uh, Prince Mishit. And uh, I'm analyzing uh, in detail uh, the scene where Mishkin demonstrates his skills of uh, calligraphy. And I find that it is actually imitation uh, of uh, Akaki Akakic uh, imagery, uh, imagery uh, of uh, a most humble uh, scribe who cannot, so to say, introduce anything original in his writing. But while in Akaki Akakic this uh, pure humility uh, is reduced to absurdity, in Prismishkin it is uh, again raised on the level of medieval uh, spirituality uh, of humble reproduction of uh, Holy Scripture, of uh, uh, some abbot's signature, uh, abbot Pafnuti uh, uh, is the uh, whose sample of writing uh, uh, Mishkin uh, demonstrates to uh, General uh, Yupanchin. So this uh, hidden medieval semantics of uh, a scribe, of the image of a scribe as the most humiliated uh, image of Russian literature is uh, resurrected in its spiritual grandness in uh, Dostoevsky. But then we see the other move, from the same image. Uh, there is another uh, successor of Akaki Bashmachkin mm. in Russian literature in the opposite direction. It is uh, Belikov in uh, Czech's uh, uh, Man in a Case, uh, uh, who also is as legal uh, offspring of uh, Akaki Bashmachkin as uh, Mushkin is. Uh, and again, we find so many uh, both conscious and unconscious similarities uh, between uh, Belikov and Bashmachkin, uh, their attitude to women, uh, their attitude to uh, writing, to uh, um, their sociophobia, and the image of Andrei Platonov's uh, uh, characters. Uh, Simon Serbinov, who is actually possible, whose prototype is possibly Joseph Stalin, uh, a little man <laughs> who became the uh, major di dictator of the 20th century. This is also an offspring of uh, Bashmachki. Uh, it's not by chance Stalin uh, liked to uh, site Chekhov and uh, Google. Uh, it was his the unconscious <laughs> so to say, his club. Uh, so you see how uh, Russian literature in its most um, ontological pieces is uh, subversive uh, in relation to its own, uh, so to say, official uh, school uh, readings. It should be read in the opposite direction. You mentioned uh, these um, 
diverse matrix constructions uh, that contribute uh, to the uh, development of these paradoxes of Russian literature. Uh, how would you define the relationships between these um, matrix constructions? Well, uh, you introduced this term in this work, artistic philosophical bilingualism, uh, when you write about Pushkin and Goethe. Um, and uh, I'm wondering if this um, combination of different constructions um, is based on dialogue only basis, or there is some synthesis, there is some symbiosis, uh, or there are some other uh, like f- flavors to this um, uh, combination of different uh, layers and overlappings. You mean the relationship between Pushkin and uh, Goethe, or Pasternak and, uh, and Pondrichtam and uh, Russian language? Uh, what kind of... Well, between these matrix constructions that you identified that contributed to the development of paradoxes. They mentioned uh, the relationship between uh, Russian literature and uh, German philosophy and German literature. Uh, it is one aspect... Uh, one aspect of this uh, paradoxical uh, self-awareness of Russian literature, because, of course, it acquired its self-awareness from uh, other cultures. And there is nothing unusual in it. We need to look at ourselves through the eyes of somebody else in order to see ourselves. Uh, uh, And uh, the same concerns uh, the Jewish uh, aspects of uh, Russian literature as represented in the work of Pasternak, Mandelstam. Again, I am not interested uh, at all in uh, their conscious identification or non-identification as uh, Jewish writers, as representatives of uh, Jewish uh, spirituality. But when I read, uh, for example, early uh, uh, verses of Pasternak, I... uh, lose uh, my uh, sense of uh, his linguistic identity mm-hmm. because they are written not quite in Russian language, mm-hmm. you know. And again, somebody will say, well, this confirms that Pasternak was not a truly Russian poet, but in this sense I would say that all poetry in any language is not truly national poetry because it speaks a different language than national language. And Aristotle in his poetics uh, emphasized that the use of uh, foreign words, of uh, exotic uh, expressions and exotic constructions is necessary for uh, for poetry. And uh, Shklovsky's theory of estrangement or defamiliarization is also part of uh, this process of, uh, so to say, um, defamiliarization as uh, aesthetic uh, device, as technique which allows us to uh, stop uh, our, to break the inertia of living and uh, recognition uh, and to start aesthetical process of uh, long and difficult perception of things. The theory of estrangement or defamiliarization or deautomatization is very important for me uh, because I believe that uh, actually the task of literary studies, of uh, literary science, is to defamiliarize literature. It's not only, as Shklovsky believed, it is not only the task of uh, 
literature or art to dissimilarize uh, life. Uh, it is the next task, next level tasks of literary studies to uh, dissimilarize the object of literary studies, literature itself. And this is what I undertake in relation to uh, Tolstoy, uh, which is the grand master of defamiliarization and uh, the main bulk of uh, uh, Shkolsky's article on uh, artist technique on defamiliarization comes from Tolstoy's body of text. So it is convenient, uh, uh, very convenient to use Tolstoy as an example how uh, defamiliarization not only works in his works, but could work as a device that uh, uh, the interpreter of Tolstoy applies to the author himself, to Tolstoy. Uh, so uh, I'm talking about this uh, foreign, so to say, uh, aspects of uh, influence on Russian literature, Goethe, Jewishness, uh, not because I focus on them. They're not important as such uh, for me. It is just uh, the same uh, manifestations of uh, uh, paradoxes which uh, defamiliarize our view of uh, Russian literature and uh, help to uh, see it as something wondrous. I am Aristotle <laughs> in my view of uh, the task of the humanities. Uh, I join uh, Aristotle who said uh, famously that uh, it is wonder from which uh, true philosophy is born because it is wonder or surprise that makes us uh, to uh, see something unfamiliar in uh, those things that we believed to be uh, already known and to enterprise a new investigation of uh, this. So philosopher is a person who is especially inclined for the feeling of wonder. Uh, so this is a, a book of wonders in a certain sense, my reading of uh, uh, Russian literature. When I look at it through the eyes of German philosophy or Jewish spirituality, uh, of these two kinds that I uh, demonstrate in Mandelstam, uh, Talmudic spirituality and uh, Pasternak, Hasidic spirituality, so within one Jewish spirituality there are two major uh, traditions, uh, which, in my view, explain much in uh, the relationship between uh, these two great poets of the middle, of the uh, early and middle 20th century, uh, within one circle, they are diametrically opposed to each other, Pasternak and Mundestam. For Pasternak, it is uh, the miracle, which is the defining feature of his view of uh, universe, whereas for Mundestam, it is the law. Uh, Talmudic law. Uh, and uh, again, this is uh, the stuff that uh, requires uh, paradoxical uh, interpretation. 
Early in the conversation, uh, you uh, mentioned um, the phrase which uh, I find interesting and intriguing, uh, postmodern reading of texts. Uh, would you elaborate on that postmodern reading um, in, the in, in the contemporary terms? How do we read text today? How can, uh, can we read texts today? Well, it's a it's a major issue, postmodernism. Uh, I started to wrote about uh, uh, Russian postmodernism when uh, it was not any accepted uh, phrase or term uh, in the year 1990. Uh, I wrote before that on Russian conceptualism, on Russian materialism, uh, but then I. Uh, perceived it as, again, two paradoxical uh, manifestations of Russian postmodernism. Uh, at the same time, I clearly see the limits of postmodernism, and uh, six years later, in 1996, I uh, published an article uh, uh, with the end of postmodernism in the title. In the journal Znamia. Uh, so I, uh, contrary to some people who read my stuff in the 80s, in the early 90s, and who believe that I'm typical postmodernist, I'm not. Uh, I clearly see the boundaries of uh, postmodernism, and my identification is uh, as uh, belonging to the next formation, which comes after uh, postmodernism, which I call proto, which uh, or proteism, which is oriented towards uh, the future and uh, sees our time as the beginning of uh, some uh, new uh, cultural and technological trends, rather than coming after. I think that postmodernism, the very term, is very reactionary because it defines itself through the relationship to the past, whereas proto. Uh, in the beginning, the first defines itself in terms of, of the future. So, uh, at the same time, I disagree with uh, those people who condemn postmodernism, uh, though I understand that much of what is going on in uh, contemporary politics in the United States and Russia is, so to say, a vulgar version of postmodernism. <laughs> I mean, post-truth and uh, denial of uh, facts, alternative facts, and complete uh, lies and uh, simulacra. I agree that uh, postmodernism, as any grand movement, romanticism, realism, symbolism, uh, becomes inevitably vulgarized at a certain stages of its uh, existence. Uh, so, uh, for me, uh, the lessons of postmodernism, nevertheless, are very important. Uh, that's why I don't read uh, uh, Russian literature as a meta-narrative, as a linear sequence of some progressive uh, uh, development of whatever. Uh, I'm reading clusters. Uh, I'm reading it more in space than in time. Uh, this is also postmodern postmodern view. Uh, for me, Russian literature is rather a uh, vocabulary rather than a book, you know. Mm -hmm. And I view all 
I mean, rather than a narrative vocabulary. You know, in vocabulary, all words, all concepts, they belong to one space rather than uh, succeed uh, each other in uh, time. Uh, this is uh, what I understand by uh, uh, postmodern or post-structuralist uh, uh, trace in my readings mm -hmm. of Russian literature. Uh, but uh, I'm far from, uh, how to say, uh, from uh, purely critical uh, uh, tenet of uh, uh, post-structuralism that uh, denies uh, authenticity, uh, any authenticity, denies uh, origins, denies uh, authorship. Uh, uh, I radically disagree with this. Uh, I believe that uh, this paradoxical method that uh, I apply, uh, this, so to say, uh, uh, interplay between the conscious and uh, the unconscious uh, meanings of the text, uh, is uh, something that uh, should be uh, read constructively rather than pure uh, ironically. Uh, which um, this enhances our understanding of uh, uh, Russian literature. Uh, uh, it is uh, uh, rather than uh, critique of uh, uh, traditional concepts, uh, I try to regenerate them on a different level, on the level of construction rather than deconstruction. Mm -hmm. uh, I call my uh, approach positive deconstruction, so to say. Uh, so in the final chapter um, of your book, you include a periodic table of Russian literature, uh, cycles and phases of development, but you don't include uh, this uh, stage of Russian postmodernism there. Uh, the um, well, the, the most recent section is um, uh, the new soci sociality, metapolitics, play with signs of various political systems, political, literary, theatrical hybrids, and um, uh, moral, religious, and aesthetic aspects he here are left blank. So, uh, in this question, I have two questions: Where do we locate Russian postmodernism? Uh, Given that uh, uh, you mentioned uh, that you believe in some limits of postmodernism, so where do we locate postmodernism and what are those uh, blank um, sections? Uh, you see, uh, I, um, I don't want to be too hasty, so, so to say. Uh, this uh, table, periodic table of Russian literature, uh, is built on uh, big chronological dimensions. Uh, the first uh, cycle is from 1730s to 1840s. It's a century, more than a century. And I find uh, the succession of four phases within the cycle. Social phase, this is classicism, uh, moral, sentimentalism, religious, romanticism, and aesthetic, which is Pushkin, poetry above morality, uh, the poetics of... Uh, harmonical precision, we are born for inspiration. So this is the first cycle. Then I find the same cycle with the same sequence of phases uh, in the next period, from 1940s to, from, uh, excuse me, from 1840s to uh, 1920s. First it's social, socially oriented literature, critical realism, natural school, 
then the new sentimentalism, psychologism, Tolstoy, early Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, uh, then uh, symbolism, religious phase, artist theology, myth creation, and then again aesthetic phase, art myth, futurism, imaginism, the self-spun word, new language, artist device. This is the second cycle. It also continues for a century. Of, um, then the third cycle, again, social phase. This is socialist realism, prolet cult. Uh, then socialist sentimentalism, Ivtushenko, uh, all these generations of the 50s, uh, 60s, confessional prose, uh, the bad eye, sincerity. Uh, then the next uh, stage, uh, neo-romanticism, village prose, quiet poetry, uh, mythologism, fantastic realism uh, in our literature of the uh, 1960s, 1970s. Uh, and then, uh, again, uh, aesthetic phase, conceptualism, when art, so to say, serves to reflect art, uh, self-reproduction uh, of uh, uh, literary uh, consciences in terms of uh, concepts. Um, and then the fourth cycle begins in the 1990s. And here I stop, mm -hmm. because uh, I don't want to project something which is not yet, so to say, uh, accomplished. Uh, here I try to be uh, more, how to say, sober and uh, <laughs> realistic uh, uh, literary scholar than in some of other my enterprises. Uh, I fixed in the 1990s the new sociality, metapolitics, uh, but uh, I don't want to proceed to the next stages before they became clear in literary process itself, you know? Uh, it's enough for me. My theoretical conscience is more or less satisfied by the fact that this cycle, uh, social phase, uh, moral, sentimental phase, uh, religious or romantic mythological phase, and then aesthetic uh, self-conscious, self-reflective uh, phase. These four phases are alternating in three major sites of literary development uh, from the 18th uh, to the end of the 20th century. And I don't want to make any forecasts for the next cycle, which can take also <laughs> a century or big time uh, uh, dimension. So... Uh, and uh, postmodernism, Russian postmodernism, because when I first saw the table, my guess was that the most recent uh, cycle will be postmodernism. And then I didn't discover this uh, movement uh, in the uh, concluding section. So uh, Actually, I think that uh, postmodernism, uh, and according uh, to this scheme as well, it is rather the consummation, uh, the end of the previous stage. For example, uh, mm -hmm. in the cycle four, which ends, uh, uh, which continues from 1920s to the 1990s, the last stages are characterized as conceptualism, play with empty language, signifies over and above the signified, and then rear guard, uh, zero degree writing, decentering, uh, entropy. This is postmodernism. Mm -hmm. And like, Postmodernism. It is after something, you know. So I don't think that postmodernism is the beginning of a new 
uh, cycle. It is rather the end of the previous cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. The yeah. literature starts to reflect itself. I see. I see. So, uh, returning back to uh, um, your uh, mentioning of uh, the metaphysics of um, Russian literature, um, would you agree that this approach to literature or this understanding of literature will somehow reshape or reestablish the relationships between society and literature? Reestablish the relationship between uh, society and literature. Actually, I don't think that... uh this relationship was ever broken, you know. Uh, I would say that uh, literature centrism uh, is uh, one of the uh, major characteristics of Russian society. It is uh, literature-oriented. Uh, it lives according to the laws of literature, rather <laughs> literature lives by the laws of society. So they are mutually uh, uh, influential. Uh, I think uh, contemporary literature, though, I don't follow it uh, as closely as I uh, did in the 1980s, uh, is also in a very tense relationship with society and reflects its emptiness, its uh, fears, its uh, uh, lack of uh, imagination, unfortunately, its uh, orientation to the past. Uh, So... um, I don't see here any uh, big problem with mm-hmm. uh, establishing a connection between literature and uh, society. So maybe what, what I what I meant there was a reconfiguration of the relationships. Maybe reconfiguration will be uh, a more accurate word, not re-establishing some broken uh, links, for example. You see, uh, today the very uh, boundaries of literature become so fuzzy. Yeah. Uh, because everybody becomes a right. Uh, there are less readers in contemporary uh, society than there are writers. Everybody writes in social uh, networks, uh, in Facebook. Uh, and uh, I think this is a very positive uh, uh, aspect of contemporary uh, uh, literature, that uh, it becomes um, literature without frontiers. Mm-hmm. Uh we are entering quite a new um, formation. Uh, it is sometimes called uh, artificial intelligence uh, with all positive and negative uh, implications of this uh, concept. Uh, I don't know, is it artificial? Because uh, any intelligence is uh, artificial, actually. Uh, culture is artificial. Uh, uh, Literature is artificial, uh, but there is some quality in contemporary writing which uh, mm, actually uh, appeals to me. Uh, it becomes more, how to say, more. There is no reading without writing mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no such a strict division between active and passive aspects of literature. When you uh, read something, you have to create the object of your reading, the text. Uh, looking in uh, Google for various texts, and you don't read it incessantly in linear uh, succession. You uh, just take a fragment of one text and mentally uh, overlay it with uh, fragments from another text. So you are creating always your own anthology of uh, text and fragments of text, uh, virtual books, so to say. Uh, 
and you not only read them, but you uh, constantly uh, write into them uh, by uh, responding to somebody's uh, posts with your own comments, by your own posts, and so on. So it is, um, I call it mega text. I just uh, uh, published another book, uh, which is uh, titled um, Projektivny Slavarii Humanitarnych Nauk, The Projected Dictionary of uh, Humanistic Disciplines, where I uh, suggest uh, more than 400 concepts to describe contemporary culture, philosophy, uh, literature. One of uh, these concepts is uh, textonics, uh, which is uh, uh, a discipline of organization of texts in uh, virtual spaces. Uh, and actually what we are doing, we are now creating this mega-text, what Goethe in his days called world literature. Now it's not just uh, uh, French, German, Russian, English literature. It is one space uh, where uh, the science of various cultures uh, and uh, various languages, they uh, interact in uh, such a way that there is no it is the, the, the work of literature, the, the, the entire text which we can contemplate on the web is the literature, you know. Mm -hmm. It is the world of letters, the world of uh, uh, characters with uh, Google translation, which becomes incredibly accurate uh, and even expressive in its way. There is no problem to read any text in any language you want. Uh, it's a very different reality. And uh, when, for example, I am writing, I am writing less and less separate texts. What I am writing is uh, some interventions into this megatext, mm -hmm. the megatext of uh, existing variety of languages, genres, and so on. Uh, and I don't feel lost, because uh, actually whatever lives now in the... Um, network, in the internet, uh, abides and will continue to abide eternally. Who knows how but eternally, provisionally. And uh, anything can be resurrected. As Bakhtin used to say, every meaning, every text will have its own feast of resurrection. Now we have technological conditions for this feast, for this resurrection. Uh, I'm looking uh, for a certain... Uh, uh, phrase for a certain image, for a certain association, and I immediately enter into uh, brotherhood with all authors who ever suggested or used the same phrase. It is conversation uh, across uh, languages, across uh, epochs, across uh, genres, across disciplines, a very different consciousness. And um, I wanted uh, in this book as well, though, as I said, it is one of the most traditional of my books, to uh, engage Russian literature into this conversation, you know, uh, conversation across languages, across uh, the disciplinary boundaries between uh, philosophy and literature, uh, and metaphysics is a good way to uh, transgress these boundaries because uh, metaphysics is not only one part of philosophy, but uh, every field of human activity has its own metaphysics. There is metaphysics of football, metaphysics of theater, of music, of literature. So metaphysics is those uh, most universal aspects of any human activity where it becomes clear for the uh, 
uh, human mind, the operational, algorithmical aspects of this activity. Uh, and uh, thus I try to uh, read Russian literature into this new metatextual whole, if such an expression, read into, is possible, to read it into. Uh, yeah, well, um, what, what you just described about writing and uh, reading, I would say is very inspiring because it also contributes to shaping and creating new reader, where this new reader engages with texts more, and I would say uh, engages with texts in a more free way. There is much more freedom in terms of interpreting texts, in terms of incorporating those texts into uh, the individual's paradigms so or into individual's understanding of the self and of the of others and and uh, uh, creating and producing new te texts um, through through writing. Well, thank, thank you so much for this incredible conversation, and thank you so much for your um, incredible research and sharing your very impressive uh, career path um, with us. Well, uh, to conclude our conversation, I would like to ask you, what's your current project? Well, uh, currently I'm working on uh, several projects, as usual. <laughs> uh, I'm bored when I <laughs> work only on something. Uh, uh, so my major project uh, is the Russian philosophy of uh, the second half of the 20th century, uh, which is almost unexplored, uh, even in Russia, and completely unknown in the West, except for Mikhail Bakhtin, Yuri Lotman, and several separate names. So I'm uh, writing a more or less systematic uh, story of uh, Russian thinking. Uh, I call it philosophy rather than philosophy, because philosophy and philosophy have somewhat different areas. Um, after the death of Stalin and to the end of the Soviet Union. So I have a contract for this book. I hope to finish it this year. And uh, also I have uh, some other projects in, uh, under consideration. I'm working on the translation of uh, my book, The Philosophy of the Possible, which I mentioned in the English, which also is under contract. And uh, I'm working on the book uh, called uh, in Russian Pervopanyatia uh, uh, First Concepts the Primordial Concepts such as uh, I don't know life, uh, love uh, uh, sin uh, repentance uh, conscience and so on uh, so I want to write uh, a book on uh, these intuitive uh, concepts and to make it as articulate, explicit as I can. Well, thank the you. Through which we live, but we don't understand them fully because they are purely intuitive. Yeah, thank you so much, Mikhail. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. And on a personal note, I just want to add that I first read your works in Russian, and those works were on postmodernism, and they considerably helped me create my own understanding of postmodernism. So thank you so much for your incredible work and for your incredible research, and good luck on your future projects, and hopefully we will have another conversation very soon. Thank you very much, Natalia, and I'm very grateful to you for your interest in my uh book in my writing and uh, I'm uh, really uh, inspired by our conversation and I hope to continue it in the observable future. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mikhail.